tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello, I, 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 I think the mic is on. I'm, no, it's on. Uh, people ask me, oh, was your show live? And I, I say, well, depends on your perspective. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, open the big book on the coffee table. Let's unroll that scroll. All right. Let's see here. This is from the book of Isaiah, the 54th chapter, which is, um, I think scholars, real scholars, think that this is what they call uh, Isaiah, the third Isaiah. There are three sections of the book, and and, uh, the first one is attributed by most scholars to Isaiah. (laughs) And uh, then the second two sections are thought to be later. I don't know. I wasn't there. But... That said, one should not worry about that. Um, when someone, you know, oh dear, I'm already off the topic. The um, people will will say, well, that letter may not actually have been written by Saint Paul. You know, the, the um, oh, and oh dear, and I'm off the topic of being off the topic. It's all, I, you know. I, it's awful when you see something shiny, but yes, yes, historical critical method. <laughs> That's what the voice in my uh, head said. And, you know, I, I, as I say, I wasn't there when these things were written, so I don't know. But the let me explain uh, the the um, the. Oh, the liberal approach, and I don't mean it in the political sense, the liberal approach to to Scripture. This is not political. This is the definition of a word, all right? I'm not talking politics. Trust me. I'm talking Bible interpretation. You know, the voice in my head just said, yet. Uh, no, I'm not going to get political. I don't like getting political. It's just, meh. You know, you know politicians are afflicted enough by the fact that they're politicians why pile on them where was i but yes the the um remember that in the 
Reformation. Uh, you had sola fides, sola gracia, sola scriptura. Only faith, or faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone. That was a motto, a Reformation motto. And in the 17th century, or the 1700s, um, especially in places like Germany, they began to notice textual problems, and they applied what was called the historical critical method to Scripture. And then, of course, people began to discover science, and um, we're still kind of fighting that battle. Uh, uh, well, it's clear that there were dinosaurs and where they destroyed and well, they were all killed in the flood, that kind of, you know, they, they just, well, it looks like the world is older than 7,000 years and people get all upset. Well, this isn't a problem for Catholics. It was a huge problem for Protestantism because Protestantism rests on the idea of sola scriptura that scripture is a, a self-translating, uh, self-explaining text, and it is inerrant. Well, there are lots of problems in scripture. There are texts that don't seem to agree with each other. For instance, how many angels were there at the resurrection, that sort of thing. It just isn't a problem for Catholicism because we are not sola scriptura. That, that ever since the times of, of the early church, people like St. Ambrose, St. Augustine, they talked about how to interpret, how to read a text of Scripture, whether it's being poetic or not poetic, that, that uh, there, there are different senses of Scripture. But that was not uh, very available to people who believed that they had Scripture alone. Well, as this movement of, of textual criticism unfolded, it really shook people's faith in the literal truth of Scripture. And I think a lot of people who have that attitude still find it um, threatening. Well, what does this have to do with liberalism? Well, the word liberal, in its original meaning, really talked about how this affects me. Um, uh, you know, again, I urge you to take what I say with a grain of salt, but the idea was, well, you can take away, uh, everything you can, but you can't take away my experience of God. And so this, this kind of liberal attitude, uh, really filled, uh, the larger, uh, and more traditional Protestant churches, and there was a reaction to it called fundamentalism in the beginning of the 20th century and end of 19th century. And fundamentalism wasn't just literal approach to scripture. It, it stressed five things, uh, a literal virgin birth, an atoning death of Christ on the cross, a literal resurrection, uh, the, uh, uh, a literal second coming, and the they called it the infallibility of Scripture. Those were the five points of fundamentalism. And by that definition, though we wouldn't say the infallibility of Scripture, we would say the inspired nature of Scripture. We had four and a half points. Uh, in 1950, the Catholic Church was considered the world's largest fundamentalist church. 
But then <laughs> modern scholarship, Protestant-influenced uh, German scholarship came into uh, Catholicism. What am I talking about? Well, I'll, I'll get there eventually. When you look at form criticism, and for instance, you look at the book of Isaiah, and it's got these three different uh, historical emphases, and it, it may have been written by uh, three different people. Oh, that's terrible. That's horrible. That means Isaiah isn't true. No, Isaiah is quite true. We reverence the words of Scripture, not because they're what Isaiah said or wrote. We reverence the words of the New Testament, not because they are what Jesus or Paul or Peter said and wrote. We reverence them because they're the words of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote these things through the ministry of the church. And even if, for instance, Second uh, Timothy was not written by Paul, which I, I think it was, but even if it was not, it's still written by the Holy Spirit and is still uh, um, uh, obligatory for us to hear and to to honor. This is a very important idea because so many people, there's something called the Jesus Seminar, which a bunch of well-to-do people from, from the North Shore of Chicago get together annually and decide what Jesus said and what he didn't. The, uh, um, this kind of, well, picking and choosing, well, Jesus didn't say, what, what's the point of that? If Jesus didn't say it, well, then it, 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 it isn't as morally uh, uh, obligatory for us. I don't care if Jesus said it or didn't say it. The Holy Spirit said it. That's what we believe. We believe that the, the scripture is the, is the writing of the Holy Spirit through very human people. Uh, the scriptures are very, well, I suppose the cliche is incarnational. They're very human, but they're very divine. You see, you can, I, I, I love the movie case, the movie and the book case for Christ. I recommend it wholeheartedly. So this was written by an atheist theologian or an atheist, not the atheist. There are a lot of those atheist theologians. No, this, this was written by an atheist reporter. He, he was an atheist, married a woman who was an atheist. They were raising their child as an atheist. And he, he was an award-winning, uh, Chicago, uh, uh, reporter, court reporter. And, um, his daughter, was was uh, rescued from by a Heimlich maneuver by a nurse in a restaurant, and uh, uh, this nurse was a devout African American Christian, and the wife uh, of this reporter got to know this woman, and eventually this woman led her to Christ, uh, um, and and it almost destroyed the marriage, uh, and then this guy decided to prove that that the scriptures were nonsense you know all the contradictions all the nonsense and he was a court reporter and so he took what he knew of of legal reporting and he applied it to the scriptures um uh, dear voice in my head while i'm while i'm yakking look up who wrote case for christ i cannot remember who wrote it uh i, I oh lee strobel there you go <laughs> he knew right off and uh um again he he well let me let me finish with the schmear here that um uh, the more he looked at the text, the more he realized this was good reporting. 
that the New Testament was good reporting. It, it was it would have stood up in a court of law, not be in a sense because of the contradictions. He knew as a as a crime reporter that if all the witnesses had exactly the same story, they had gotten together and gotten their story straight. You look at the resurrection accounts. Were there two angels? Was there one angel? Uh, was it Mary Magdalene who went to the tomb? There are slight, the essential story is exactly the same, but the details vary. That's because these things are being seen by human beings, and human beings sometimes get their numbers wrong. The fact that there were contradictions in the story that were not essential contradictions lent truth to the accounts. And of course, now Lee Strobel is a Christian minister. I recommend the, watch the movie Case for Christ, and it'll make you want to read the book. You can also get it electronically. Case for Christ, it's it's a fantastic book. So uh, um, this is a lot on this. Why am I talking about this? Uh, because of the idea that, well, maybe Isaiah didn't write the whole book of Isaiah. As I say, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I know that as a Catholic that the Holy Spirit wrote it. And we are not subject to sola scriptura, that we believe the scriptures are, are, are uh, reliable truth. But their divine truth filtered through human witnesses. That's what I mean when I say the scriptures are both human and divine. But the divinity in them just shows through. C.S. Lewis, when he read, he was an atheist, and uh, his specialty uh, as a as a scholar was mythology. And when he finally read the New Testament, he realized this is not mythology. This uh, this is this is truth. This is reporting, just like Lee Strobel did. So uh, I've spent a lot of time on that, but. Um, I suppose I should get to what I actually want to say about the scriptures real quickly, that that we have a biblical principle here. This is not, oh, good grief. That's an, oh, I'm, so I go along. There's such things, the, the Bible is full of biblical principles that describe the way in which God works. You know, God loves principles. He hates method. And he loves Methodists. And, I mean, who doesn't? The church suppers are wonderful. But I digress in my digression. The Lord loves principle, hates method. A method is you go to the prayer meeting and you're in charge of praying for the sick after the prayer meeting. And darned if you pray for someone and they then they don't act and they get healed. My goodness. Well, you think, what What did I do that it actually worked? Well, I had my red feedlot cap on, my lucky bowling shirt, uh, and I prayed in tongues, said three Hail Marys. That's how you heal people. The minute you think you've got God down to a method, he does it a different way. He loves principles. And we have a biblical principle here in this reading from Isaiah. The barren one who did not bear uh breaks forth in jubilant song numerous are the children of the deserted wife this is a biblical principle the deserted we see this repeated in the scripture the 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 barren wife is blessed with children uh the virgin will conceive the 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 second son inherits uh the promise that sort of thing that that god really does love the underdog and and 
this is a principle that God does it in a way that we don't realize. So that's the idea of a biblical principle. Um, now, let me get to the gospel real quickly. Oh, dear. I talk too much. Well, I suppose that's what uh, a radio shows. Well, no, it's I, I want to get to your calls and letters, too. This is Luke, the seventh chapter. Uh, remember, we had the, 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 the messengers from John the Baptist come and ask if Jesus was the Messiah. People say, well, didn't John know that he was the Messiah? He baptized him in the Jordan and saw the dove and the heavens opened and all that. Well, the fathers of the church said that he sent the messengers so the messengers could know that Jesus was the Messiah and that John was not. Then he talks about what what was John about? Uh, did you come out to the desert to see a, a, a reed swayed by the wind, someone dressed in fine garments? And the last section, all the people who listened, including tax collectors, were baptized with the baptism of John. I think I explained this, that that in the process of Jewish conversion, if you're not a Jew and you want to become a Jew, you study the law, you, uh, if need be, uh, you begin to live kosher, uh, you know, go observe kosher law, uh, and if need be, you are physically circumcised, and um, uh, then you, the last, I believe the last thing that happens is you enter a mikveh, a Jewish ritual bath, in which you go down one set of stairs into the bath, you crouch in a fetal position, get yourself thoroughly immersed, and then you walk up the other steps, and you've left all of the, the the schmutz, all of the all of the 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 goyish schmutz, the Gentile dirt, and and all that your past life, you've left it behind. It's a kind of baptism. It's not at all what we think of as sacrament of baptism, uh, but it, it it's a ritual. And and what John is saying to these tax collectors and these prostitutes who are coming to him, you have to be converted. You can't be an Israelite just because you're a descendant of Abraham. And that's what, of course, they believed and still believe. And the Pharisees and scholars of the law were not baptized by him. Well, they didn't need conversion. They were, they were, they were automatically in like Flynn. They were in like the club. And as I've been saying, this is my fourth in a row talking about it. The violent bear it away. Those who are, who are desperate for the kingdom of God, they're the ones who inherit it. And the Pharisees and the scholars of the law and the Sadducees and the priests, they, well, we don't have to be baptized. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, God can only deal with confessed sin. And I don't simply mean the sacrament of reconciliation. You must admit you're a sinner. To confess means to agree. You're agreeing with God. Uh, agreeing with God about what? That you're a sinner. And, you know, people, I say this all the time, people come into confession and they say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, but let me explain. God, there's no sin in history that God is not willing to forgive. But God, in all of human history, has never once forgiven an explanation. So they didn't need, they didn't need, you know, they didn't need baptism. They were already Jewish enough. And John was saying, no, they're not. And... I think that applies to us. All right, well, let's take a break, and uh, we'll come back with mass hysteria. Very brief today, but I hope pointed. 
Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Well, hello. Yes, this is a, a lovely song. Uh, all right, let's go to mass hysteria just briefly. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. You know, um, again, forgive me, I'm repeating myself, but being old, that's my privilege. The um, I, I say this all the time. We we don't in the Catholic mass we don't sing hymns. We sing the Mass. At least that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I really do believe that there are places for hymns in the Mass and in the life of the Church. I think it very appropriate that we sing a hymn as the procession comes in, and we sing a hymn as the procession goes out, and a traditional place for a hymn. Usually what we used to do was sacred polyphony, which was usually uh, another psalm, um, after you know when we're done with the communion psalm then if communion is going on or there's a, a good thing to do you know a good uh, a good moment for for um, for sitting and listening uh, a hymn is appropriate there what i really want to complain about today <laughs> isn't it fun i i i'd like to thank all of you for this therapy session for me it's wonderful where was i the what i and free well yes free the uh I, I, the 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 idea that well you have to sing every verse of the hymn no you don't <laughs> i mean the the well you have to sing every verse you haven't sung Hymns are not, I was talking about the Bibles written by the Holy Spirit. Hymns are not written by the Holy Spirit. They're written by people sometimes of debatable taste and even debatable morality. Um, the, the hymn does not have to be sung uh, until uh, the last person is out of breath. And I remember hearing one, one uh, choir director, but the hymn tells a story. You have to have the whole story. No, you don't. Uh, a person wrote in about a pet peeve not too long ago, and I agreed because it is a pet peeve of mine. When the hymn interferes with the action of the Mass, the hymn has gone on too long. In other words, uh, for instance, it's the offertory, and the offertory is a rather brief part of the Mass, but the choir and the choir director have chosen a hymn that lasts for 15 minutes. <sighs> Don't do that. The If we're going to have hymns, they should, at the very least, conform to the action of the Mass. This idea that you have to sing every last verse, you don't have to. That's my thought about Mass hysteria. Hymns are not written by the Holy Spirit. The Psalms are. All right, let's go to letters. Okay, boy, have I got a lot of letters. Okay. I don't know if I did this one. It's about green green burial. Um, have you heard of green burials? Have you any experience? No, I've, I've never been buried in a green way, personally. You speak occasionally about crazy burial practices, and green burials seem to be what you prefer. No chemicals, no metal caskets, no vaults. 
Some even have the family bathing the body. Well, I draw the line there. That's a little grisly. But, uh, yeah, when Socrates uh, was made his own executioner by the Athenian state, he took a bath before he took the hemlock uh, to help the ladies uh, to, to, to uh, you know, to, so the ladies didn't have to cleanse his body for burial. Uh, no, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, in, in Europe, uh, at least uh, last time I was there, uh, visiting the graveyard of my ancestors that, uh, what you do is you, you, you're buried in a simple pine box. Um, and, and, uh, um, every 20 years, I think it's tw- every 20 years, the grave is declared reusable because there's nothing left there. And, uh, I, I there are all sorts of people who are talking about, uh, you know, cremation is, is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, more ecologically friendly. I wasn't going to talk about this, but since I'm on the topic, why not? You know, electric cars, they're much more ecologically friendly, right? No, every, I believe that, um, oh gosh, I, I, I forget what the distance is, but, uh, uh, to use an electric car, uh, I think to replace, I, I, I should have looked this up before I opened my yap, but I think 70 pounds of coal are necessary to go a, a certain distance. Um, you know, the electricity for electrical cars, where's that coming from? It's coming from coal or nuclear. Uh, you know, this, this whole ecological thing, I, I, I think we are supposed to be the stewards of creation. Uh, Adam was put into the garden to tend it, but this whole thing about green burials, sometimes it, it, they're not energy efficient and they're not even tasteful. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, that we need to understand, um, human beings are biodegradable. It's, it's all the rest of the stuff that isn't, I don't know what I'm talking about today, but yes, green burials, there's nothing wrong with, with being buried simply, except most places forbid it by law. Yeah. I, 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 that's what I heard that, that, uh, that, uh, the simple churchyard thing where you're just buried and the grave reused, uh, apparently a grave settle and, uh, somebody was hurt or killed when a gravestone fell over on them. And uh, so all of a sudden, that was a good way to lobby for safer graveyards uh, in which you were buried in a concrete vault and then a metal coffin and embalmed and all that. That uh, that uh, the, the, the funeral business has really gotten out of control. And it's I think it's along with the wedding industry is pricing itself out of existence. But moving along, I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's go to another letter. That must inspire people with great confidence when I say something like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, let's see here. Okay. Okay. Father, now this is a tough question. It's from an anonymous person. Do you think there's ever a time or place to go gra- show graphic pictures of what an abortion actually looks like, including the after pictures? You know, I had this argument with the great Joe Scheidler, for whom I have, may he rest in peace, I I had and still have unbounded respect for Joe Scheidler and for his lovely wife, Anne, and for those who can continue his work uh, at, at, at the, uh, 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 against abortion. And I thought, well, you know, and I, I've done it. I mean, I've 
went with Joe Scheidler in my youth and draped pictures of 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 aborted children over the you know they're, they're just grisly over the the expressway uh, uh um you know uh, overpasses and um i said to joe i said so I, I, don't you think that that's a little bit much that you know uh, i think that you know a person sees somebody holding a picture of a, a brutally butchered infant which is what these pictures are and they associate that that disgust not with the abortionist but with the person holding the picture i said joe do you think that that this is really effective and he said yes i do because it's truth i think there's a time there's a place uh that that people need to see what abortion really is um it, it, I think, though, we have to make sure when we do so that they associate that those horrific pictures not with the person showing the picture, but with those who commit the crime of abortion. And I call it a crime. Um, <clears throat> so this question, Father, do you think there is ever a time or place to show graphic pictures of what an abortion actually looks like? Yes, I do. But I think it's very important to look at time and place. That just to drop that on someone may not be the most efficient way to do it. But to explain carefully, you you're for, you think abortion is okay. Now, I'm going to show you some pictures. And understand, this is what an abortion does. This is what I'm against and what you're for. Then there might be a place. So, yes, there is a time or place. But there is a time or place so it's a uh, you know I, I i share that with with great um gratitude uh to and respect for the scheidlers okay um this is from m- uh mrs m uh why don't parishes offer con- <laughs> she wrote concessions but i think she means confessions between masses on sunday some places do uh and uh the <laughs> oh Maybe she does mean concessions. Uh, oh, she's got to mean confessions. Uh, the voice in my head just said, Starbucks, I've heard of mega churches who have donut shops in the lobby, lest people faint from hunger. I don't think she meant that. But um, <laughs> who knows? I've heard of a church that uh, has a very interesting mass that I'm not going to mention. They actually, uh, the mass will go three or four hours, and I'm not talking Byzantine. Uh, and I've heard that they have uh, refreshments in the basement lest people get faint. I don't know if that's true or not. But moving along, are you familiar with the, uh, why don't they offer confessions? Because for a number of reasons, um, we were we were told not to um, when I was in seminary. And one of the reasons was that uh, people will be going to confession during Mass uh, you want it between masses, but then you got a line of 20 people. And, um, uh, well, after 10 people, you say, i got to stop now. Mass is starting. Well, the 10 people are still in line are unhappy customers. Um, so the tendency then is to continue hearing confessions during mass. And, you know, the person is not completely fulfilling their Sunday obligation. That was the idea. But I think the real reason is I we had confessions before Mass, um, 
and I transfer them to after the Saturday morning mass because there's just not the time to do it right. And um, there are fewer and fewer priests and a priest needs to be collected uh, before mass. He needs to be focused on mass. I found it very difficult to do that. Now I've known priests uh, usually younger, who who will do it, who will hear confessions before Mass and between Masses, and they're absolutely heroic. Um, but I think in general, there, there's a huge, you know, I, I don't think that people understand the, the oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whine now. I don't think people understand what goes on between Masses. When I was a boy and the woolly mammoth roamed, you didn't, lay people did not go in the in the sacristy and the sacristy was a place of silent prayer and preparation and there were prayers that priests uh, um, um, prayed in the sacristy um, uh, to prepare for mass uh, well that's changed hey father how you doing yeah i got a joke for you father that's mass preparation now uh between between masses uh father Father, there's no toilet paper in the ladies' room. <laughs> if I could have a nickel for every time that someone pointed out that or the kneeler in in pew number eight on the left side is falling apart. This always happens five minutes before Mass, and people are very upset if you don't do something about it right then. And the five or ten minutes before Mass is absolute chaos in some sacristies. And hearing confessions, hearing the complaints of the faithful about pew number eight and the toilet paper in the ladies' room. Father, the toilet's overflowing. You know, I'm dressed in ancient Roman clothes and someone says the toilet's overflowing. There's nothing I can do about it at the moment. So the chaos before Mass really, I think, does detract from a celebrant's... um, ability to say mass now there's some people who can do it and some people can't so uh, that's my answer to that well in the second part are you familiar with the book called the way of the pilgrim can a catholic incorporate the orthodox jesus prayer as i understand it is just the repetition of jesus lord jesus christ son of the living god have mercy on me a sinner i say that prayer a lot during the day and uh, when i wake up in the middle of the night and uh yes you can say the jesus prayer all right let's go to uh, a break we'll come back with a word of the day and we'll open the phone at 888 uh, stay, stay where you are to hear more complaining on the part of the Reverend Know-It-All. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go. Oh, Matt. Oh, the voice in my head, Nicholas II, sent me something from Dave Erbum, the first document of the Second Vatican Council. Therefore, since everything asserted by the inspired authors or sacred writers must be held to be asserted by the Holy Spirit, it follows that the books of Scripture must be acknowledged as teaching solidly, faithfully, and without error that truth which God wanted to put into sacred writings for the sake of salvation. Not for the sake of history, not for the sake of of science, but for the sake of salvation. And as I always tell you, in the Bible, which is not a book, it's a library, 
There is poetry, there is history, there is law, there is philosophy. Um, and to say that the poetry is history and the prophecy is, 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 is uh, law, and you're getting it all confused. But the scriptures hold what is necessary for our, our growth in Christ. But it's asserted by the Holy Spirit. See, the Council of Fathers and I agree on this. All right, let's go to the word of the day. Well, I don't know if this word of the day is useful, but I like it, and I think it's interesting. Uh, there are three words in Latin that are translated by the same word in English, and it gets confusing. Have you noticed in the Holy Holy, you have Lord God of hosts, and then the priest consecrates the host, and uh, then the ladies' committee hosts the coffee and donuts after mass, the, the laying out of donuts, as I call it. Those three words are, are totally different in meaning. They, they are homonyms. They sound exactly the same, but they're not the same. They come from three different words. Host as in a nice lady hosting the donuts and coffee, or a nice man, I should be inclusive here, is a hospice in Greek. Hospitis is the, is the, is the, gen, is the genitive of it, in, in, not in Greek, I mean in Latin. So hosped, or huesped in Spanish, becomes uh, host in English because of the time and alcohol principle of language development. I've told you about the time and alcohol language of prin uh, the principle of language development that alcohol does over the short run, what time does over the long run, it slurs a word. So hospitis became hospit, became hop. Yeah, that's where we get the word hotel from it. A lot of time in alcohol there through the French uh, derivation. But then we get the word hostis, which means an army or a mass of people, or an enemy force. So the Lord is the Lord God of armies, the Lord God of hosts, as in a host of, uh, a host of reasons why I shouldn't go there. It means a multitude. And then you have the word hostia, which is a Latin word meaning sacrificial victims. So there you go. That's the word of the day. Host, the English word H-O-S-T, has three meanings because it comes from three different words. So when you hear the Lord God of hosts, he's not the Lord God of communion wafers. All right, let's go to phone calls. I think it's interesting. The is ringing. Who is on the phone, dear voice in my head? Rick from Oceanside, California. Rick, what can I do for you? How you doing, Father? I'm I pretty good, all you. things I, considered. I, yeah? Well, that's good. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. Here, uh, I'm at good. Abbey in, uh, in Oceanside, California, and I, I have this. You know, I, I go into this uh, I, the church. I call it. I mean, I'm not Catholic, uh, you know, but at the mm -hmm. same time, I have friends that are Catholic, and and sure. you know, and I and I, and, I, and, I, and by, by no means let me preface this by saying that um, that I'm not an uh, uh, opponent of the Catholic Church. I've been I'm trying to quantify this. And so what happens is, is that okay. I, I have a hard time with with saints and 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 you and 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 the way I call it deifying marriage if you will, and in a sense. Mm -hmm. Now, when you walk into this, this sanctuary in, in, in this uh, monastery here, you have the, obviously, you walk in in the center, you have Christ, on, you know, on a cross, kind of, a de depicted mm -hmm. on stained glass. And then over to mm -hmm. the left, you have a little alcove that has, you know, an area, you know, where you can kneel and pray to Mary. And the deal mm -hmm. is, is that I thought, you know, in the Word, it talks about, you know, that God, I mean, I thought that Christ died. I mean, one of the things he died for was that there is no more middleman. 
we go straight to God. No, no, there's no and, middleman. Now, what, may I ask your religious denomination? Well, I mean, I, I, be, I believe that Christ died for my sins on the cross. Oh, okay, I, 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 okay, I so you wouldn't identify as a Baptist, you wouldn't identify as a Methodist, you'd probably be non-denominational, right. But you, you are you in a relationship with a pastor? Um, no, not right now. So, I mean, at different times you have, but have you ever asked anyone to pray for you? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely I have. Well, they shouldn't do that. My, you mean in my, in my lifetime? No, no. If you, only Jesus. Don't ask people to pray for you. Don't ask your pastor to pray for you because it's only Jesus. You see, we, we believe in what's called the communion of saints. Jesus said, what I have done and greater will you do, that we're adopted sons and daughters of God. And Jesus wants us to pray for one another, to love one another. And we believe that the, 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 those who die in the Lord aren't dead at all. Scripture is pretty clear on that. That's why we honor the saints. We don't, I have never worshipped the Blessed Mother once in my life. Scripture, however, does say all generations will call me blessed. And if you're not honoring the Blessed Mother, if you're not honoring Mary, the mother of Jesus then you're not obeying scripture. So it's, it's, it, that's what's going on here. We don't worship saints and the scriptures are clear. You, you can make no idol and worship and, 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 and bow down before it. The word, the word in, in the text clearly refers to an image of a God. These are not gods. We don't worship them. And Mary is not divine. I don't know any, any Catholic with any degree of education who believes that Mary is a goddess. It's, she's not a goddess. She, she is a, a wonderful gift of the Lord, as any saint is. And that's with a capital S or a, a small s. I go to my friends who, have, who are saints. I know, some, I know some saints who are quite alive in this world, and I ask them to pray for me. Well, you shouldn't do that because you only go to Jesus. Nonsense. He wants us to pray for each other. And the scripture in the book of Revelation talks about the prayers of the saints. And that's with a capital S or a small s. So I hope that helps explain it a little. So, well, thanks for listening. I'm honored that you listen. Who have we got now, dear voice, in my head? E. Frank from e Ephraim? Are you E. Frank from Astoria? Are you, what can I do for you? Yes, uh, Father Simon. I, I want to tell you a tale that maybe you might be able to help me with that I don't comprehend at, to my knowledge or to my conscience itself. Now, you were asking the previous caller that uh, what denomination he was uh, about yeah. maybe 35 years ago i i attempted to leave the catholic faith mm -hmm. and i entered a denominational cult called the worldwide church of god through their subscription oh, yeah. program yeah i only yes. went through three of their services i never went any further than that and i was and, and over the years i was having a a a conscientious form of cleansing of the heart which I have not been able to overcome or uh, decipher because it's been a constant battle uh, with uh, my, uh, my, my local parish and its neighboring appendix, uh, you could say appendix, but it's an appendix uh, uh, attached uh, chapel, which uh, uh, closed, uh, I think, two days ago. They eliminated its operational needs. Uh, and I've always been searching for Christ, 
Uh, I'm actually baptized. I received First mm-hmm. Holy Communion as a, a catechumate a doctrine student for two years, and I was confirmed in the Catholic Church. But uh, I I do have a faith, but it's been a situation where, uh, you know, I don't want to say you know. I just want to say I don't know how they allow uh, local parishes to pr- create traditional uh, understanding for their baptized members and their parishioners and a person like myself who is a an immigrant from the Caribbean and so, from South America from a lineage of Catholic relatives <clears throat> who mostly are confirmed members of the church cannot actually worship or pray in their understanding because they believe that Catholics are in union with uh, a, tr- a family tradition they're not in union with well uh, you know I, I've shared this a number of times that that you can't be God there's a saying God has no grandchildren God has no grandchildren uh, the scripture talks about the sons and daughters of God God has no grandchildren that that I can't I'm not going to go to heaven because my grandmother is a saint if I learn from her and and uh, uh, come to Christ as she did then yeah okay uh, then then I, I belong to the Lord but God has no grandchildren so um, uh, um, I think that that um, we forget that you know the sound that says I have not contemplated things too great for me there's a wonderful story. I think it's told in reference to St. Augustine. St. Augustine was walking by the beach, and he saw a little kid with a big clay pot digging a hole in the sand, and the, 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 the child would dig the hole and then run into the, into the waves and fill up his clay pot and then pour it into the hole. And the hole, of course, would collapse. He'd dig it again and just kept doing this. And after watching him for a little bit, Augustine said, what are you doing? The child said, I'm going to put the entire ocean into this, this hole in the sand that I'm making. And Augustine said, you'll never do it. The hole is too weak. It's sand and, and the ocean will never fit in it. And, and the little child looked up to St. Augustine and said, neither will you put the greatness of God into your little brain and disappeared. It was an angel, you know, that, that I, I struggle to understand. I struggle to know. But as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, my knowledge is imperfect. My prophesying is imperfect. We're never going to know it all. And faith is not just an accumulation of facts. Uh, it's a relationship. I think one of the most profound prayers is the prayer taught by St. Faustina. Uh, Jesus, I trust in you. That's what the word faith means. There are, there are facts of faith and logical propositions of faith and, and an intellectual element of faith. But ultimately, the word faith means trust. I believe all this stuff about resurrection and heaven when you die and and all this because Jesus said these things and I trust him. You know, I mean, resurrection from the dead? Wow, <laughs> that's a good trick. Well, Jesus said it so, and him I can trust. So understand that 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 faith is not just uh, a theology. Faith is a relationship. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Roger from Sunnyvale. What can I do for you, Roger? Thank you, Father. I'm assigned as a proclaimer for this Sunday for reading two Hebrews 10, 5 to 10. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get your take on it. It's a little bit complex in the phrasing and 
you know, a little, and I wondered uh, if you have any insights into it. It looks like they're quoting as if Jesus came into the world and said, you know, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. They're quoting from a mm-hmm. psalm. And and I guess um, I'm trying to think how to make this, you know, understandable to the people who might not have prepared it. Uh, so any insights just in general about the theology or, or how a person could read it? you know, proclaim it so people might understand it. Well, uh, behold, I come to do your will. Um, uh, He takes away the first to establish the second covenant. You know, I I think what you do is you just read it and uh, uh, read it to the best of your ability. But the idea that, that I don't desire sacrifice, well, why are we offering sacrifice to the Lord? The sacrifice uh, that... Oh, good grief. There's music in my head. There's a, in, in a psalm, we read, Summon to me the people who've made covenant with me by sacrifice. And that's it, a blood sacrifice. The idea is that it's the covenant he desires. If we just give stuff to God so that God owes us, that doesn't work. What we, go, what we sacrifice is ourself. Uh, a body prepared for me, as is written, I behold, I come to do your will.